Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. So, uh, having a black belt meeting here with, uh, with the pit master, John Hackelman, coming out of uh, California. I do encourage you to check out his YouTube page at the Pit Online Dojo. Did I get that right, John? Yeah, the Pit Online Dojo. All right, YouTube. Cool. That's cool. my YouTube. And then my Instagram is pit underscore master. Pit underscore master. So that's the pit, yeah. Yeah, just pit underscore master. Cool. Yeah. Well, this is part yeah, of the, yeah, yeah. This, no. this is part of the black belt meeting series I have where I meet with different uh, MMA coaches, you know, instructors, and they kind of talk about stuff that happens inside the studio, stuff that you know, shop talk. And the reason I wanted you to come on was it really got my attention with the left hook self-defense video that you posted on Facebook. Um, and if you don't mind, I'm going to share that real quick with these guys here. Let me share my screen here. Yeah. Uh, okay, share. Put that here. Um, oh, here it is. Okay. So here's the video for, so people can see it real quick. Um, you know, he's got you, you grabbing the guy, he hits you, and then you come in to show how, why the left hook. <laughs> and then it shows you doing a left hook to knock the guy off of you and I, I love the video I love the simplicity behind it I love what the message is behind it too so I just wanted to get your thoughts you know you mentioned wrist locks can work or fancy movements can work if you're Steven Seagal and then you'd mention how the left hook works it how how the left hook is a simple technique but it's very effective. So what are your thoughts on really complicated self-defense compared to just, you know, having good, strong bread and butter techniques? I think the, the, the two things you have to take into consideration for street self-defense, not even the case of uh, uh, necessity, um, but the, the number one is, is life or death self-defense, and that's what I'm dealing with. And um, uh, two things come into play. Number one, um, uh, fine, motor, small, uh, fine motor movements, right? They don't work when you're, when you got adrenaline pumping. You just, the little things just don't work. Like you can barely even, you know, draw your weapon or you know, if your knife is hidden in your pocket, and the fight starts, a lot of times you're digging for it. I mean, you could, you could try it and train, like have somebody attack you, and then you try to you know, grab something out of your pocket, it's just not gonna happen. So we need, I mean, gross motor you know, movements as opposed to fine motor skills. Um, fine motor skills might work in a cage because it's not a life or death situation. Yeah, you get your adrenaline up walking to the cage, but once the fight starts, the adrenaline leaves. You know what I mean? You, you're not all amped up anymore. Now you're, you're, you're trying to win the fight, but you don't have that adrenaline pump or dump um, 
like you do in a street scenario where it's life or death every second. Um, so like, for instance, somebody grabs you from behind and you're trying to get out of a rear, uh, a rear bear hug, right? Or body lock. You can, you can just pry their fingers out. The reason you can't in the UFC is because that would be kind of, I mean, it's just an easy way out or, you know, it might take away from some of the skills. So there's a rule in MMA no small joint manipulation. In other words, you can't just peel a finger away because that he'd let go too easily, right? But now in the street, it doesn't hold. You can do small joint manipulations. Obviously, there's no rules, but you can never find a, a finger with with your adrenaline dump, and you don't have those fine motor skills. So fine motor skills are number one, right? You just it's just not. Um, not as, um, not as, you know, it's, it's, it's not as effective. So, you know, the small joint manipulation is number one. Number, you know, the fancy stuff to not do this and then this and this and this and this is because there's something called Hicks Law, right? Hicks Law, H-I-C-K posture, yes. Hicks Law says that when there's a when there's a attack, and I'm paraphrasing, is it's stimulus or stimuli. When there's something that stimulates you to react, right? You're the the less options you have to react, right? That means the faster you'll be. So in other words, if someone grabs my co collar in the street, and I, I've learned like 20 different wrist locks, and if this one's over here, I go this way, and then I do this way, and then I do this way. Right. If, if I have all these different ways to get out of it, right, and it, it happens right now, it's life or death. If I don't get out of it right now, he's going to punch me or stab me or something. So Hicks Law says the less options you have, the faster you will respond. And that makes perfect sense, right? So if you have like, well, which one should I use? What should, what, what, what should I do? This one, this, and then now you're dead. Whereas if, if you just follow really simplistic uh, techniques and simplistic uh, escapes, etc., he grabs you, boom, right away, right? He grabs you over here, boom, right away. You don't have to think of all these different techniques you're going to move for this leg. It's like a front leg uh, parry. If he kicks me with a front leg, I'm going to parry it. If he kicks with a back leg, I'm going to parry it. Some places parry with different hands, but sometimes your mind doesn't think that quick in a fight when the shit hits the fan. So which one, oh, which one should I, boom, now it's too late. So if you just always parry any type of linear kick below your waist with the same hand, you have less options, quicker reaction time. And that's what Hicks Law says. And, and that goes really alongside that I, I heard a lot of different instructors. We talk about having... You can have a. Is that too long? No, that's did you, great. Did that make you fall asleep almost? No, no, not at all. Like, I, I, sometimes I'm looking, I'm sometimes looking. I make myself almost fall asleep. <laughs> no, no, I've. I'm I do. Looking. I'm that bored. My wife always falls asleep. <laughs> I'm looking at the points you mentioned, and I'm looking at. That's during all. sex. That's during sex. That's how bad that is. Anyway, go on. It's awkward. Um. It's. <laughs> I think. Um, it's awkward to say that. I'm not proud of. It. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, I was I was looking up online something oh. talking about because you hit a lot of different points at once. Um, 
And I think I, I love to find universals, like when it comes to martial arts and techniques, like I like to find these universal principles and something that you'll see uh, that you mentioned, the idea, the idea of having one solid technique, right? Um, here in Japan, a lot of the yeah. people, they do the, they have that whole philosophy. You practice one thing a thousand times, right? Like I went to this one kickboxing gym and the coach made me do a front kick for like the first three months. Just a front kick. He'd sit me there and make me just do a front kick over and over and over. Before I did any of my training, I had to do a front kick like a thousand times. But the whole philosophy behind it is to have just one move that's solid, that works. Um, and that, that happens. I've heard, uh, I think it was John Hawkheim. I might be messing up that name too. He mentioned the same thing, having one or two good techniques that work and everything else is just extra, right? And that's, I think that's... yeah. The best way to go keep it simple keep it simple because like you said when the adrenaline jump when you get that adrenaline dump everything goes blank right all these people talk about knife defense here right. i'm not a big fan of knife defense i always say that i'm not a big fan of focusing all my training on only knife defense i think um having my, the body being strong is going to help you once you have that knife in your hand it's needed but having my whole system be trained around knife defense there's some problems with that and what I look at it as, again, having one good technique, and it's funny, you have those guys that do a lot of knife stuff, but then you're like, all right, well, let's put a knife in your hands and let's see what happens. Like, let's, let's do a live drill. Let's just go here. Here's a knife or even better. Another drill that I've seen is we'll have, I like to have two students come in, they're sparring, doing their regular sparring, and I'll just throw a knife in and see, hey, there's a knife. Who's, who's yeah. going to get it first? What's going to happen now? And it's funny how students get shocked. They're always like, Sometimes they're in the middle of jujitsu and you know, one guy is about to get the other guy and I'm like, hey, knife. And just seeing that process of like, oh shit, like <laughs> knife, right? <laughs> so like, yeah, it's um, it's a total different mindset. Completely different mindset. If you look at my Instagram, on my Instagram not too long ago, I think I put it up on Instagram not too long. I make my fight team do knife, uh, knife fighting some of us and they just freak out they're like because they're not used to it. But to me, it's a different, it's just a different way of trying to enter and try to find an opening and try to defend an opening. You know? It's just something different. It's like breaks it up, you know? So I do, I'll throw knives in with my adult class sometimes and, uh, and they'll, you know, it'll be in their, in the back of their belt and then they, they'll pull it out. So yeah, I like knife defense. I like gun defense. I like a gun. We're big on guns here. Um, here, meaning my my world, not not the state. Obviously, it's a pretty, uh, and I know your guys' countries even. Uh, yeah, there's nothing out here. <laughs> more, uh, yeah. So we do a lot of gun stuff too. So, and I go. I I I assume it's like. Um, I think Hawaiian Kempo, which is an offshoot of uh, Kaja Kempo, and the whole reason I took out the Kaja Kempo. Uh, uh, name was because of the katas and the proprietary techniques from Kajikampo, which I didn't like or believe in. Um, so I didn't think it would be honest or true to the name. So that's why I, because I love Kajikampo, but taking out the katas, forms, uh, punch tricks, taioki, taiokas, etc. Um, I, I just didn't think, feel like I was going to be true to Kajikampo. So I changed it to Hawaiian Kempo, which I came up with that just because Kempo, you know, the you know, law of the fist. Um, um, 
and I'm from Hawaii. And now all of a sudden, I see other Hawaiian kempos all over the place. And I was like, wait, wait, what the heck? <laughs> like, I know one guy, I'm not going to name him, but there's one guy who I got a black belt from him, like in the early, late 70s or early 80s. And it was, it wasn't Hawaiian kempo. I actually have the certificate, you know? And then, like, a few you know, years later, I saw him at a tournament, and they had, like, like uh, they had, like, tapa print on part of their gi, and it was Hawaiian Kempo with an M instead of an M. I spell it with an M. They spell it with an N. But I was like, you guys were, like, a strict Japanese Kempo before. Where did, why the switch? I guess, you know, sometimes it's flavor of the month, but <laughs> so I see them popping up all over the place. When in 85, when I came up with Hawaiian Kempo, I had never seen another Hawaiian Kempo school ever, ever. But now there's a, there's a bunch of them. I'm not saying they're copying me, but they are coming out of the woodwork now. Well, I right? think you're, you're, you're touching on a really good point that I mentioned earlier about, uh, well, I, I didn't, not on camera, but we talked, I sent you the message here for one of the points about marketing and running a school. Yeah without watering down the curriculum. I think this is a really big challenge for people that yeah. are running, or even yeah. the Kaji Kembo guys right now are really going through this. Like, what should I focus on? Like Kaji Kembo covers so much, like as a, as, a, as a gym owner or as a martial arts dojo owner, what do I focus, where can I get my money? Is it going to be point karate? Is it going to be, is it going to be focusing more on the self-defense? Is it going to be focusing more on, on sport, going more towards cage fighting? So what are your thoughts on that as far as like marketing, yeah. watering down curriculum or boosting it up? Uh, I've been hearing that forever. And, and I, I think, I mean, everybody in the martial arts, you know, like including Joe Rogan, I mean, they know that the pit started as like the most hardcore. Our, our, our training is, is legendary. I mean, I know I used to hear stuff about Godin stuff and Kaja Kempo, what, what it was like, but this was a whole different level than the old days Kaji Kempo. I know that for a fact. And um, I mean, come on. I mean, me and Chuck are beating each other, sense of both bleeding all over the place and takedowns and, you know, that's, I mean, that was just belt testing, you know, it's like, um, and I thought that was the only way to do it. I thought that was the best way to do it. Um, I, the gym was in my backyard and I wanted it to be known as the toughest you know, gym around, you got a tattoo, they got a tattoo, they had to get the tattoo, and, and the sparring was like, you know, no holds barred, you know, no, no, uh, no holding back, you know, um, and it was like that for a while, you know, um, I remember seeing some people telling me, he watched one of my buddy, one of my students get a green belt test, he goes, and you're never going to make it as a martial arts school owner, and you'll probably be arrested real soon if you do that kind of testing. And um, but I was like, well, I want it to be real, so I'm going to do it. So I did for for a long time, for years, and now, now I don't. And I honestly think the way I'm doing it now is better because I think you do have to be real. But if you want to be that real, then be real that real with your knife defense too, and use a real knife, right? You want to you want to. If you want to pull, hold back, you know, with your with your knife, you know, because the reason you do it is because people can get hurt if you don't. And the same thing holds holds true for uh, uh, Mark, you know, the unarmed, right? So when people say, "Well, they'll never learn if they never get hit," I go, "Really? Well, so a guy that's training knife, 
Will he never learn if he's never got stabbed? I mean, you can get hit once and die. You can get hit once and die, right? All you do is get hit just right. Your head bounces off the cement, and next thing you know, it's, you're in a fucking nursing home six months later, right? You think your wife's going to wait for you for that? I think we both know the answer to that. Um, so I don't feel like you have to go all out all the time. In fact, if anything else, my fighters are showing better results in the cage by much less sparring than they used to when I used to spar them all the time. I, for my uh, belt students as well. You don't have to get punched in the face, you know, multiple times to become a successful self-defense practitioner, just like you don't have to get punched in the face often to be a, 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 an MMA fighter. I mean, got, I mean, one of the, the most brutal, but bloody fighters uh, of recent history was Robbie Lawler. Remember his fight with the guy from, the crazy guy from Canada with their both like sliced open in their face. And it was a brutal fight. He admitted he never even sparred for that fight. Looked like he did pretty damn good. But, and you don't have to, you don't have to get punched in the head uh, routinely or even occasionally or definitely not frequently to become a tough person. You just don't. So we don't spar anything like we used to, but we still don't feel like we've sold out or we've gone soft or anything because our training is still very high level and very, very rough. I just don't feel like you need to have cerebral hemorrhaging to make to prove to everyone how tough you are. Yeah, and also like like they mentioned, they've been mentioning a lot, right? This this stuff with uh, traumatic brain injuries, the accumulation. There was that study that came out out of uh, England where they weren't even doing martial arts; they were checking out soccer players and the impact of a soccer ball and then blocking it with their head in practice. And they're talking about how even the smallest impact accumulates to a bunch of essentially brain damage, right? So one of the questions yeah, I want to ask yeah, you is yeah. kind of like, instead of sparring as much, so what do you, what do you recommend? What's, what's kind of like a hard, um, what, what is something that's listeners or anybody who runs a dojo who maybe does a lot of sparring, um, what would you recommend well, as I wish, an alternative? I wish we did this. That's a really good question. And, 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 um, I think we've come up with some state-of-the-art, um, very effective drills. The drill, I wish my, I wish Godin, my instructor, did it when I was coming up. It would have saved me a lot of, of traumatic brain stuff, you know what I mean? But um, I think drilling, drilling, drilling. We do occasional, um, we do occasional light sparring. That way it keeps them, you know, keep them on the toes more, keep their timing, keep their reflexes, keep their hands up and never just spar to the body because then they'll just get used to defending the body, leaving the face open like Kyoshi Shinkai fighters do, right? They get knocked out all the, about these crazy kicks because they're just used to punching each other in the body and just protecting the body. So we let our guys punch to the face, but it's at a much lighter level, like, you know, uh, so I call it, I'll call, I'll call it either, depends on the level I want, and depends on the place where they are in their training, but I'll, I'll usually say shadow box sparring, then I just want pretty much no contact, but they're just, they're facing each other. And 
and they're shadow boxing, so they're getting up to the next level and say, all right, I want, I want 1% sparring. Then they're allowed to touch each other, but not hit each other hard. So they do have to still keep their hands up, their elbows in, et cetera, watch for the takedowns and stuff like that. But they're not taking constant boom, 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 like we used to. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's what we do. We drill, 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 drill all the time. Drilling, drilling, drilling. I'll drill the same technique. Leg check, leg check with a counter. A combination of a shot over and over and over. So when they get in there, that combination of the shot come very, you know, it just comes effortlessly as opposed to, you know, just making it up as you go along. And I don't want them sparring and always having to be worried about getting hit really hard. I want them to flow more and become more creative because getting hit often doesn't mean you're going to take a better punch. It's the opposite. The more you get hit, the less, the less you're, you're able to get hit, right? The chin goes away eventually and it goes away from getting hit and getting, getting uh, rocked enough. And that includes in sparring. So your chin stays solid longer you know the first time you get knocked out it's like you're a virgin you know like and a girl like she's a virgin the next thing you know she's having sex she can never be a virgin again even though she tells everyone she is right but the same thing with your chin we call it virginity right once you lose your virginity a lot of times that's it, it starts going you know it starts leaving you Right, and some people stays for a long time. Some people doesn't. But the way it goes is by just keep, you know, just keep chipping away at it. Is that that's? I don't want like the Japanese people to think that I'm like perverted or anything. They're not. No, gonna take that, they, they won't even understand it. So. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, you make, you bring up a really a really good point as far as um the idea of. I mean, I, when I came up, it was the same thing. It was. You know, and I'm not even, you came up from the old, you're from the old school, old school. I came up from like the 90s old school into the early 2000s, but they were still doing it the same way, like getting beat, right? We're the two on ones, yeah. two guys just beating you down. It wasn't about, well, <laughs> it's not about winning, they'd say. It's about surviving. And I mean, I mean, I loved it. I'm not, I'm not criticizing it. I had a great time. I was a young kid and I, I really wanted to go through it. But yeah, looking back on it, definitely took a lot of headshots that i probably shouldn't have <laughs> like, yeah. yeah definitely situations and, and where one guy's got you tied up and the other guy's just hitting you in the head and you know because you're doing the two-on-one and as i was thinking to myself later i'm like yeah probably not what i want to put my students through <laughs> all the time yeah so like, no it's <laughs> this is not a um yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not really good. Good. Uh, there's not too many good things about it. There's not too many pluses to it. Um, but when I first came up, that's how I thought I wanted to be. My instructor, Walter Godin, was that guy that you know ended up. You know, spent twenty years of his life in prison. You know, killed somebody. I mean, he was brutal. Um, and he loved the, the way I, I brought the pit in and he loved, he, he accepted and he gave me his blessings to change the name of our system, Hawaiian Kempo. He actually came to a couple of my black belt tests, including Chuck's. He was at Chuck's black belt test. Um, and he was loved. He loved it. He loved, you know, he, he was very proud that he could say that the Hawaiian Kempo system started under him, you know? Um, but, um, but 
it was just, it was, you know, the old school Kaja Kempo was a lot different. Um, and, and, and now even the new school Kaja Kempo with the, you know, with the Chinese terminology, Sifu, Sigung and all that, that's like, that's the next, that's like the newer Kaja Kempo because old school Kaja Kempo, they didn't do that. Um, uh, but I, I just don't think you need to get, it's like, you ever hear the this, this song, you don't have to take your clothes off to have a good time? <laughs> you don't have to take your clothes off to have a good time. Uh-huh. You ever hear that song? I have not so, heard that Anyway, <laughs> it's basically, it's, it's, it's a little older than you, but it was an old school song that a guy was just, he was coming up at a time where everybody was saying, you know, you know, they were like, you know, they were, making sex, you know, just having sex with everybody look good and, you know, that kind of old rap and stuff like that. And um, this guy wanted to come up and say, well, no, let's just, you don't need to have sex with everyone and stuff. You're going to have a good time by dancing and partying. We don't have to do that. And so my thing is you don't have to punch each other in the head to become a really, really proficient martial artist. I'm going to come up with a song too. Yeah, that, that. definitely. I'm sure you can grab like you can do like a parody of what you just talked about put it on YouTube, kind of change the lyrics a little bit. <laughs> then I'll probably get trademarked and they'll probably kick me off. Well, you know, you got to switch up. The, you have to switch up the the lyrical tangent and the beat itself. Just keep the concept. <laughs> yeah. So another so, point. So I, I just don't think you have to, and you and you're not going to be a sellout if you don't make your students have concussions every day. Yeah, definitely. And definitely, um, again, this goes to what I was talking about, like, I was talking to another, I was talking to Mickey Lopez, he's another Kajikembo instructor and boxing coach. He was talking about how, we were talking about watering stuff down. I was telling him, it's so weird because, like, a lot of people have a different definition of what watering it down means. Does it mean that we, does it mean, like, some people think that it's taking away the kata. Some people think it's about not going full contact. I think everybody has a different definition of it. It kind of goes back to something I've been asking a lot of my guys, what do you think, and I, this isn't on the list of the stuff I sent you, but I'm going to ask you this question. I asked a lot of Kaja Kempo guys this. You're Hawaiian Kempo, but you know, you're still in the, in the family. Kaji. You're still yeah, in the family. You're still in the family. You're still in the family. I'm in the family tree. <laughs> so what is Kaja Kempo? Um, to me. To you, yeah. To me, um, Kaja Kempo is a state of mind to me. Um, it's a, a state of mind that as, as a young, blonde, um, vulnerable, you know, kid growing up in, in, in the, you know, tough place in Hawaii. So Kaja Kempo to me meant like Godin used to always say, animal instinct, animal instinct. You got to have your animal instinct. He would say that all the time, like we're doing our punch tricks or, our, you know, our, our different defense grabs, uh, uh, defense combos and stuff. And always on the ground, once they hit the ground, he, he would yell for animal. Huh? He wants the animal instinct. He wants you to finish the guy. And like the chin in MMA, you also have to have animal instinct. You have to have that that KO instinct because um, you see a lot of guys, you rock, they rock the guy. You can even see it from the, from the watching it at home, going, 
finish him. He's hurt. But some people don't get that. They just don't get it. And then all the next thing you know, the guy's recovered. Now he gets knocked out. Yeah. So you got to that animal instinct is something that I think you can create. You can, you can build up like, uh, you know, you can't build up your chin. You can't build up your heart, but you can build up your strength, your, your, your speed, your techniques, you know, your, your, your mental, your, your, your fight IQ. And you can also build up the killer instinct. And that's what Kaju Kempo meant a lot to me because, you know, hanging out with Godin and going to this tournament or that fight or watching him do his drug collecting and shit. I just saw something in him where he would just go after someone like an animal, you know? And I felt, I always associated that with Kaju Kempo and the thick black geese that had like white, like like white strands of sweat because they use the same ghee all week and they've been sweating all week so it's dried the dried salt it would it would be all over their ghee um and that's that's what where i came up when i came up that's what it was like and i i i associated it with um with just the animal instinct to finish people off that tried to that tried to hurt you and 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 you know I broke up the, you know, I didn't break up the Kaju Kempo that much. Like now in Hawaiian Kempo, I've separated them a lot more. It's karate, you know, the striking, the wrestling, the groundwork or, or jujitsu and the conditioning. So I have four things now where Kaju Kempo, you know, it was kind of, it was, it was kind of like an uh, MMA or it's kind of like a, a, an all, all inclusive martial art. But I felt like the Katas took away from that. I felt like the katas turned it into just a full-on street street fighting technique, you know, learning all this. And then once you start doing the katas and taking your training time, learning these moves that meant nothing, you know, in a real fight, I, I, I didn't like that part. Even as a 10, 11, 12-year-old kid, I was like, I just want to learn how to protect myself. And when I would ask Godin, like, why are we doing this shooting star technique or this horseshoe punch, he'd always just say, shut the fuck up, do it until you get your black belt. And then once you get your black belt, you can take it out. But right now you got to learn it to get your black belt. And that's what I did. When I got my black belt, I took them all out. And I think a lot of people, I've been talking to a lot of other Kaji Kembo guys and you're not the only one who took the kata out. There's, I've met and talk to a lot of them that have taken the kata out and focused more on the other parts of the acronym. Um, yeah, what? They, I've, I've talked to a lot of other country Kimbo guys who have done the same thing. They're pulling the kata out of their training. I was talking to one of the guys in Australia. Uh, I forgot his name. But anyway, one of the country Kimbo guys in Australia was telling me that everyone was coming to his gym. When he opened his gym, they, were, they didn't want to do the kata. So he finally realized, like, you know, going back to what I talked about marketing and running a school, his clients were asking for more of the other parts of the acronym. So he decided to focus on that for his school. And he found that for him, it helped him run a more successful school. And then I've also heard the opposite, right? The other practitioners that wanted to do more fighting, but they have a lot of soccer moms bringing in their kids and they want their kid to learn quote unquote karate and do more point sparring and more kata. And they decided to do more, focus more on the kata yeah. and less on the fighting. So I guess, you know, However, well, that whatever I always, you got to do yeah. to keep your place open. I, I tell them, <laughs> I mean, yes and no. I mean, I, when those people come to me, I would just point them down the, down the street and, you know, laundromat karate. That's why I call the place because right next to laundromat, they do katas. So if you want to do katas, go down there. But I've never once 
had a soccer mom ask me to do contos or think, you know, have her kid. They didn't even know what contos are. I mean, I think people that come into our gym know that our, what our culture is and people, people that bring in the kata with a, with a phony tradition. I hate when people talk about tradition, like putting their hand over here. Like, I, I don't know why I would ever be here ever, 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 unless you're reaching for a knife or a gun, but it's just like keeping your hand here by your hip. I just, and I, when I, they, when they brought up like think words like tradition or bunkai or stuff like that, I was just like, but that's the tradition that you want it to go away. It's like, I mean, I mean, we have all kinds of terrible traditions we've had throughout our, our history, but we want to get better. And, and, and you're only as good as your traditions. And I feel like the pit right now has the best traditions and I'm so proud of all of them. And you know, we're not just a beat up school where you're just gonna come and beat the guy up. And we, if, if our kids get in a, in a fight at school, like every belt system, I mean, every belt uh, cycle, they have to bring in a paper from their school and from their parents. And I don't even care about grades to be honest, because you know, I mean, that's not what I care about. But when it says check in the box, does the child show respect? Does a child ever misuse his martial arts? You know, and stuff like that. Those marks mean a lot to me. You don't promote if, you, if you're showing disrespect, you're picking on other kids. Do you ever see your kid bullying other kids? That's one of them. Um, so that means a lot more to me. If my adults get in a fight, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to beat the shit out of them and they kick them out of the gym. If my fight team, if anybody in my fight team cheats on their, their girlfriend or their wife, they're off the team. So I feel like our traditions are, are, are embedded in, in really good moral compass and, and, and effective martial arts. But I also want them, you know, and I, so I want them to be really tough, really strong, really vigilant, you know, really fit, really healthy. But I want, their, I want them also to be, I mean, you know, you'll never see a guy in the pit, from the pit, doing some of the antics you see some of these guys do in the cage. You just, you'll never see that. You never have it. From Chuck to Glover to Tim Kennedy to any of the guys that started with the pit, they would never do that kind of stuff. Fighting outside, throwing stuff, doing all that shit. It just, it would not happen more than once. Because if it happened once, they'd be out. Yeah, that's, that's again, that having, I guess, the difference between having traditions for the sake of tradition we, or having traditions for a reason for example for moral teaching right moral reasoning and i think that goes a yeah, little beyond I think right? and we do traditions and we're traditional as hell we wear a gi we have the belt system we bow you know we have our we have our traditions our belt ceremonies and stuff like that but i've taken away traditions that i felt are, are harmful to the student and the art itself like katas and putting your hand over here and and you know there's some other things if it takes away from a child or an adult's ability to defend himself, um, it has no place in my in my gym. You know what I mean? It just has no place. Conditioning, that's huge. You have to be in good shape to defend yourself in the street or in the schoolyard. The striking, you have to, you know, you have to have you know adequate striking. The takedown defense, the takedowns, the rest, that's the wrestling. You have to learn that. 
You can be the best striker in the world, some good little wrestler or even a football player that knows how to tackle. If you don't know how to defend it, you're going to end up on your back like a, a dying cockroach. And then once you hit the ground, if you don't know how to get up off the bottom, then you're, you're, you're going to lose. So those things are very important. You know, so we keep those traditions, right? And then, but then do away with things that I feel aren't as effective and they're, they have no place. If someone likes to do katas, like, like I like to pop lock, you know, I like to, I like to dance all day long, but it has no place in my martial arts curriculum. I might do it in the gym sometimes when I'm teaching a class, I might bust them over too. So I feel the same way about katas. If you love katas, yeah, I mean, you could have a katas as an upgrade system, or maybe you could have a comp uh, competition team that does katas. That's great. But it, it has no place, no place in a core curriculum of a martial arts school. No place at all. Ooh, bang. Me. That, that has gotten me. That has gotten me kicked out of more than one speaking engagement at a martial arts uh, convention. I'm serious. <laughs> well, you know, People, they, that's, they don't want to hear that. In fact, there's they're the biggest self-defense, the biggest, uh, the biggest martial arts um, convention in the world. I mean, every year. I don't even speak anymore because I, I, I brought that up one year. They did not want to hear it. They just didn't want to hear it. I think it's funny, like, you can't, See, I can, I wish people could learn how to agree to disagree more often. You know what I'm saying? Like, to, it doesn't sound unreasonable. What you're saying does not sound unreasonable. You're not necessarily saying, hey, you're saying for, for the philosophy and your school's philosophy, as far as self-defense is concerned, it has no place in it, right? And Take it to another level. No, I'm taking it to that level because if I said <laughs> that, I think that would be okay. But I am taking it to another level, and I'm saying anybody's school, uh, martial arts school, co the core curriculum should not have kata because it takes away from the, the, the I think every martial arts school main, main objective should be how to keep someone safe in the street or if it's a kid, how to keep them safe on the schoolyard. I think everything besides that is just extra and it should be an upgrade, not in the core curriculum, just like the weaponry yeah. stuff like this, the bow and the nunchucks. I love those things. Yeah, and they belong, in an, uh, they belong in an up, upgrade, you know, an upgrade. You pay a little more, you learn that, you get to do it and maybe even enter a tournament competition team. But it, yeah. it does not belong in a core curriculum. You use it for martial arts is a martial Warlike art, and I don't think a kata belongs anywhere. You know what people like to do now? They try to 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 try to get that argument. It's funny shit. Oh yeah, what do you call shadow boxing then? That's like a boxing kata. It's just like it's just it's <laughs> no, such it's a fun no, because katas are katas katas are choreographed. You never see somebody doing a choreographed shadow boxing, and. Katas have to have X amount of movements. They have to they have to be multi-directional, right? And they they take low, they take low and really, really ineffective or in in uh, efficient stances, which look really cool, but you are not gonna take a stance like that in a fight and, and live to tell about it. Yeah. And like I say, um, 
And again, like if only like I, I think it's it's more. Well, I'm always yeah okay. Well, because because I'm young, I'm always teetery tottering my words because I don't have the kind of weight that you have. I mean, you're a UFC coach, so you can say that kind of stuff. If I, I'm always looking at what I say very carefully because I'm I'm young and on that tree, right? But I think yeah, it's important. Yeah, if you're younger people, and on that tree, you can still have your opinion. Yeah, I think for, for my opinion, I think it's important for people to be able to look at it and like I I, don't, I okay I'll say it. I think it's ridiculous that you can't say that at whatever venue you said because those are your thoughts and that's what you think, right? And you like you said, you have you have your program. So even if if they disagree, if they disagree, then they can say, well, I disagree for A, B, C reason. But to just throw out the, like, what's the word I'm looking for? To throw out the idea of being able to express that, it just kind of shows fragility to, I don't know, like to the whatever they're hanging on to. Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong. Look, I, 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 yeah. I'll personally say I enjoy kata. It's fun for me. Would I compete in kata? No. I love to watch them. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I personally would not compete in kata. I, I love to watch it, especially musical kata. Oh my god, I love watching musical kata. Yeah, I like. I, I like love watching, it. I, I love like it. Watching, I like watching wushu. Right, I, the things they do in wushu kung fu is amazing. I can't do that stuff. Is it part of of what I was taught? It is. I've never been good at it. I even I had a video. I put it up like, well, you know, someone was asking about wushu today, so I made a video. Big warning. I'm not good at this stuff, but if you want to learn some basics, here it is. But I'm not good at it. Is it part of the if – I, if I have a guy who says, tells me that they want to fight in three months, am I going to sit there and make them do a bunch of wushu basics? No. If you have a fight coming up, then you better be focusing on what you're going to be – you know, what you're going to need for your fight. But, um, yeah, now, now I went on a tangent. There's, there's an important point there. There's an important point. Let me tell you the important. I'm gonna tell you the important point. I mean, and the kata, because I came out of that same seminar doing a kata, one of my old kata Campbell kata's, right? Remember pump, 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 pump. Remember that? Okay. So that kata, and I came out with the music. They played some music. I came out with a couple of pop locking moves. And I and and I you know I said I love both of these I actually do I love both of them, but neither one has a place in a core curriculum of any martial art out there today. They just don't belong there. So I mean, and I think I think uh, um, if 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 the person doesn't like me saying that, that's you know that's I mean yeah, um, but. I, they can't argue the point, and they try. They try. They try. They they even came up with a phony word called bunkai, right? Um, I got. I'm googling this. Go ahead. I'm googling what this is. Which I guess I guess the craziest content the move, and, and you could you would never see a guy do this in a fight. It would never work. But then they go, well, the bunkai says I would actually grab the guy and then I would hit him. And they come up with all this stupid shit, and they, but it had nothing to do with the movement of the kanta. But then they, they, they try to explain it away or make it up by saying, "Oh no, that's the bunkai. It's the philosophy." So it, it, I don't know. Does that is that a Japanese word? That you know what I'm looking at bunkai. Bunkai. I'm looking at bunkai. And what, how does that I, translate? I, it, it translates to literal meaning of analysis or disassembly. 
is a term used in Japanese martial arts right. referring to the process of analysis, analysis, anal, analyzing kata and expanding fighting. And I think I do remember, I do remember. So they made it up. They I made do, it up for that. I do remember that, like in Japan, they have the difference between their kata that they do, that's like a kata, and then they also have their bunkai kata, which is a kata that's to, to symbolize self-defense. I'm confused by, it. they asked me about that because I, I wanted to compete in one of the tournaments. And um, I wanted to, I wanted to find out if they had, like they do in the US, like in the US, they have the point sparring, right? So I wanted to say, hey, I want my kids yeah. to come in and do some point sparring at your tournament. And they said, um, well, you're not a part of our association. You got to pay us this much money to be a part of association. I'm like, oh, okay, well, what, what are some of the requirements? And I said, well, you have to have, you got, you, your students have to be able to, to perform their kata and a bunkai kata. And I'm like, what the fuck is a bunkai kata? All right. So I looked it up. And at the end of the day, I decided not to do it because I was like, you know, I don't, first of all, I don't agree with the idea that I got to pay your association thousands of dollars just so that my kids can come in and do some points barring that I don't really want them to do anyway because the parents are asking about it. I don't, I didn't want to do it. But yeah. That, that's the first time I, I heard about Bunkai was through a Japanese association that wanted me to pay them two grand for membership fees to go to their $100 tournament per head. It's not like a money It's not like a pyramid to me to me. <laughs> so I just walked away. <laughs> what's, and what's the Bunkai with that? I mean, there's, there's a Bunkai attached to that right there. Yeah, but, yeah. So I mean I don't know that that's a big deal with that was a big deal so anyway that's my kata thing. So my other um my other point I have on here, everyone wants to be an MMA fighter because I've had so many people come into my gym. I've met so many people doing since I started doing this years ago, especially when UFC started getting really big. First, I want to be an MMA fighter. I want to be an MMA fighter. All right, okay, let's do this. You want to be an MMA fighter? Sounds good. Let's let's get started with some basics and let's get you into sparring and see what happens. Um, I got my stories, but I want to know your stories. What do you do when someone walks into the door and the first thing they say, I want to be an MMA fighter? Um, it, it's a different level for me because, uh, because that's all I'm known for. And I have a traditional school, which is 90 plus percent of my student base are traditional students that don't want anything to do with MMA. They appreciate that I'm an MMA coach. They follow it. Some of them have followed me, some of them haven't. They've all heard about Chuck and my, you know, my guys and stuff like that. And they know about the pit, but they come there for just traditional martial arts. Very, very, very few guys still come to me and, and want to fight because I told, I've kind of made it clear that I'm not really that interested in being a fight coach anymore. But I do have some fighters and I'm not, and, and um, I've been, you know, talked to, I talked to Tony Robbins and he doesn't think I'm in a position to not be a coach right now, uh, just because I owe it to certain people that I've been training for a while that I can't just stop, you know, I mean, so I'm not going to, um, so I do have a team of, of some, some loyal guys and some good guys, um, but if somebody came to me and wanted to be a coach, I wanted to be a fighter. Um, what we do is, unless they're really good, they, they're like coming from somewhere else, you know, like they fought over here. Now they're moving to our town. They want to fight 
you know, then oh, no, they just I, go right to the I'm team. I'm gonna be very, I'm gonna be very specific here. I'm talking about the guy that walks in right off the, the guy. That, that guy. guy, that guy, okay. that guy, in that jeans, guy, construction boots, comes in, and he well, says, "I want to be an MMA fighter." You got to tell that him guy. first. You got to take off your shoes before you come in <laughs> on the mats. <laughs> that that guy. <laughs> that guy. Um, that guy. Since our style doesn't have any pr- proprietary movements that aren't directly related with fighting. Whether that fighting's in the street, in the cage, in the ring, wherever. Every technique we do every day, every class is directly related with a fight. There's nothing that's choreographed. There's nothing that's prearranged. Every technique we do, every drill we do, every bag session we do, everything in my Hawaiian Kempo classes can be done the exact same way in my fight team. The fight team does a little more hands-on takedowns, groundwork, right? But everything, everything's really the same. There's a little more, but there's still that in my regular traditional class. So if somebody off the street says, I wanna be a, a MMA fighter, I'll say, okay, we'll join the Hawaiian Campbell class, which is MMA, it's MMA, except MMA is a sport. Hawaiian Kempo is a, a martial art, but we teach everything we teach is you'll see in the UFC, but we teach it for the street. So they're, they'll train with my uh, Hawaiian Kempo class and just see how they pick up the moves, pick up the conditioning, and then they can come extra on Fridays and do sparring. And that's what my Hawaiian Kempo guys spar. That's for the guys that really want to spar. Nobody has to spar, but they can if they want. So they come on Fridays. And then that guy will come on Fridays, or girl. And then if they still like it, right, I'll watch them, you know, get a couple belts. And if they still want to fight, then I'll move them into the team. And that's different training time. So that kind of brings me into the next one I had here. What do you do with someone who came in, was really fired up in the beginning, but somewhere along the line, they start to lose their motivation? Maybe someone who, who did really well in the Kempo program. They did really good. Maybe they even did their first fight and they did all right. But something happens, life happens, uh, and they just kind of are having a hard time adjusting, making that life adjustment between balancing their work life and martial arts life. How do you, what do you do to try to get them, I don't know, motivated? That, I mean, I don't, I don't really believe in that. Like, uh, um, I would like that kind of motivation. I would, um, I will try to accommodate their schedule because I have different times. Maybe move them around. Maybe move them into a different class, and then ask them what their real goal is, and then realize that um, for whatever reason, and sometimes, sometimes it's just because they're fucking beta males. Beta males are weak, and beta males aren't going to make it, you know, in, in a system like ours. So maybe they're just weak. Maybe there's a beta male that's just, I mean, there is a place for beta males in society. Um, it's usually as a cellmate, but whatever. Um, but maybe it's just not for them. They'll just say, hey, this isn't for you, man. So I'll rip up their contract, and they're gone. 
maybe, but like I said, maybe it's just a schedule or, you know, I got to work all this, 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 and this. And I'll like, I'll try to tell them what I used to do when I was fighting and raising three kids on one salary and how I had to train after, you know, three hours sleep and then try to catch a quick nap seven in the morning and try to like, just let them know that it can be done. But then on the other side of that, if it's not for them, then just boom, rip it up and go. So, and, and I try to keep the classes upbeat and I try to change things all the time. And I try to keep things interesting. I try to keep my classes interesting. So, but if after all that is said and done and they still, um, and they're still, you know, maybe losing interest, then maybe it's just not for them. Yeah. But I will try, I will try to accommodate them on schedule, you know, and, and, and maybe just having a good talk to them, you know, or, or, or readjust or re reevaluating what their goal is. Like a lot of my, I had a pediatrician. He never wants to fight. He just wanted to learn, learn how to fight to defend his family. Boom. He's a black belt. And now his kid's coming. Um, or it could be, you know, somebody that wanted to, you know, try, try training and then during their training to learn how to defend themselves, he said, you know, I'm 45 years old. So I want to, I want to tell my grandkid I had a fight. So I want one fight. So I got him a fight, you know, and then he trained, you know, and then he just went back to regular classes so that everybody's different. But at the end of the day, I'll try to accommodate everyone but then realize also that Hawaiian Kempo just isn't for everyone. Some guys just got to go maybe down the street, do laundromat karate or some, some other more of a beta like program. <laughs> it's funny. Like I know um, I'm not going to mention any school names, but I do know that there's a few schools out there that have a logo of jujitsu for everyone and um, a slogan. And I have nothing against these schools, they do? but yeah, and I'm not going to mention a name in my, in my area. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna. It's a big school. It probably it's probably it's probably out there. Um, I'm not gonna say the name of the school, but if you look up that slogan, I'm sure they'll come up. I lost your video here, brother. I'm gonna see here. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm somebody. Somebody's just calling me, so I just, I just so so so, um, so okay, yeah. Like, so I don't I, know about that, but, but what you just said though is really is something I always tell the other guys. Kaiju Kimbo. Well, you have Hawaiian Kimbo. I do Kaiju Kimbo, but I say that to all the time. Kaiju Kimbo is not for everyone. If you came in here just for kickboxing, I will send you to a kickboxing gym that is down the street because you're not you're just going to get kickboxing. You're going to get everything that the program has. Otherwise, I feel like I'm watering it down and I want to do that. Um, my, yeah. other, my other question I was going to ask you was promoting a fight, how to get from amateur MMA to pro and what's expected out of you. Because I know a lot of people will have that point where they do a few amateur fights and they're trying to get into pro, and there's a lot of stuff that happens in that journey. What what kind of advice do you have for people who are trying to go? They're at the amateur level and they're doing a bunch of small fights for a little bit of money, but they're trying to go, they're trying to go pro and they're trying to get into that circuit and they're trying to figure out how to promote. What are some recommendations for that kind of person? Uh Again, um, um, yeah, you have to give them ex expectations, um, what you expect and what they they're to expect. And I, I, I'm lucky because I've been there since 1970 
been fighting since 74, been at every level of everything as a fighter and as a trainer. So, you know, I kind of know what they got to do and what they got to, um, what, what is to be expected and what kind of things they're going to go through. I know every emotion, every, you know, every schedule, fucking every family, this, and I know it all. Uh, I don't know it all. Like that sounds kind of presumptuous. You've seen it all. all. You've seen. You've seen it all. You've seen I've, it all. I've seen, you've it. seen <laughs> it all. I like. I, I like. I know it all better though. I'm, I'm going to stick with that one. But um, so just um, I can see more than than they can ask. You know what I mean? Like I, you can tell that guy. You can't tell if they're going to make. There's a couple things you can't tell until they get pushed really hard. Chin is one thing. If they don't have a chin, I'll discourage them from going, you know, they want to fight, they should, you know, fight as far as they can, but always take the fight to the ground as quickly as they change that. Or the guy that doesn't have the heart, then I'm just going to say no. I'll let you fight amateur, I'll throw in the towel all the time for you. Uh, and if that's what you want to do, so you can tell your grandkids you fought, you're never going to make it any further without a heart. But that's a lot of people don't have big hearts. You don't see them in the UFC because they didn't make it that far. They wouldn't even make it to Bellator. But some people are at the low level. They just want to be a fighter so bad that as soon as they get hit, maybe they have a good chin, but they don't have a big heart. So then they just want to get taken down so they can tap out real quick or something. So everybody's so different. Um, but I think, I think um, the way to do it, I mean, pragmatically, is just the way to do it is um, you as a coach, you have to see how they're doing as an amateur and then whether they've had three fights and they're ready for pro or 32 and they're not yet, then you just have to keep evaluating them where they want to go in their heart and where you think they can go as a coach. And you have to, those two things have to kind of come together. A lot of my guys, I want to go pro. They're not ready yet. And a lot of my guys, I want to take them to pro and they don't feel like they're ready yet. So there has to be a, a middle of the road. Um, they just, you know, so I, I think to, to do it now, to do it is you find um, a low level show in your area, a pro show, and you get in touch with the promotion and send a video or everybody has that now with uh with youtube but you get a get a low level show in your area you know and, and get your guy a fight and then go from there and then then they go to the next level it's kind of like baseball you got double a you got single a double a triple a and then majors and you know after college most guys unless they're superstars and go right to the majors they start off at you know double a or single a and then they start go, climbing up the ladder and that's exactly what it is with mma like you got the single a which is little Indian casinos, fights, and then you got double A, which is some of the lower, you know, shows, and then you got triple A, which is like LFA, PFL, Bellator, and then you got the majors, which is the UFC. So when they're ready, you got to decide, you know, if you think they're ready, and then you got to start promoting them to the promoters. And how, how does it work in the U.S.? Because like I said, I've, I've mostly, out here in Japan, um, the way it looks like to be is you have your gate shows. They don't have casinos. You have your gate shows where it, it's essentially like a low-level tournament, or I'd say not even tournament, yeah. matches. Smoker. 
like a sm- smokers. I guess a smoker minus the minus the bar scene. It's actually held at a gym, um, and all the smoker. all the all the people. Okay, smoker. Yeah, okay. So it's a smoker. It's still considered a smoker because I, I wasn't sure. So slower. So is it okay? Can you win an amateur? Can you win an amateur belt in one of these smokers? No, you have to win three so, fights, and then from there you can go on to their promoted event. At the promoted event, it you have to sell ten tickets in order to not have to pay to fight. Oh my god! Yeah, and this is that's, that's criminal. That's like, that, so uh, no, don't don't get me started. <laughs> so like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> we so have like, that here okay. when, if a promoter tells me that that's that's so that a crime so that happens over there i wasn't so like i like i said i i just kind of okay like i um yeah i, 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 do I, I, don't, I, no. I don't i don't like it <laughs> i don't like it this is what like i tell them. this is what i tell those guys and there's a couple of them out here so i'll say okay i'll make a deal with you i'll have money fighter sell tickets like the promoter is supposed to that means you have to get in the cage and fight like my fighter. Because there's, you got two jobs here. One is the promoter, which is you, and then my fighter is the fighter. Why should he promote your show? You know, you're not going to fight in it. Don't even get started. So what I've noticed also, I won't do that. What I've also noticed yeah. now is now what they'll do, and I guess it's because of the whole Japanese hierarchy thing. They'll convince these guys to fight, and then they'll be like, "Well, if you help us set up and the." fighter ends up becoming like an employee of the venue and then through that they get more fights and i just I, i'm having a hard time seeing where but the thing the crazy thing is these people are connected to the bigger promotions because pride isn't out here anymore I, right. if it is one, if it, right? it, yeah it's one so these people are connected Eventually, you get on their good graces, and eventually, they will help you promote to get into one or into FC yeah. or into K1. But you have to go through this like hierarchy system to get there. And it has to do very little to do what I see with actual skill and fighting, and more to do with how much you give them as far as. Yeah, that's, I think, I don't, you know, I don't know there as well, but I kind of do because I've, I, you know, I've seen some of it. Um, but that same thing could be true here. Got to sell tickets. Got to do this. Got to do that. Unless, unless you're like you know Joan Jones or Chuck Liddell or Glover, then you get you get you get streamlined right to the top. Then you don't have to do that. Like Glover never had to sell tickets. Chuck never had to sell his own tickets. Some of the lower guys do in the beginning. But if if the promoter sees the guy and goes, "Holy shit! Oh, you're on." But if he's kind of like, you know, not as not quite as good, then he's got to get in get in line. Just like like in the and in, in anything else, right? If you're good at something, right? Then if you're good at something, then you can you climb the ladder to get to the top. But if you're really that good, you 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 you're gonna skip a few rungs of that ladder ladder, right? right? So that's how that'll work. So so does there is a similar system to that in the U.S. Because I wasn't sure. Like I haven't. Yeah, I've only seen the Japanese version of this. Yeah. All right. So, all right, cool. That that does cover that point really well. My um, okay. There's two two more points before we wrapped up. One of them that I really want to talk to you about is training after retirement, after it's all said and done. What um, what are your thoughts on training after the person's done? They're no longer fighting in the cage. Maybe it was. It, 
maybe the competition days, whether they fought in the cage or not, competition days are done. What's that like? What's that look like for people? It's a, it's a, it's um, I'd say it's a, um, it's a blessing for me. Um, and it's, um, it's emotional. It's emotional thing for me. That's, um, I hated training when I was fighting. I hated fighting when I was fighting. It was a nightmare. I didn't like any of it, but I did it for a lot of reasons that, you know, it's, I'd have to go through a hundred shrinks to, you know, find out why, (laughs) but I always thought when I was, I loved the idea of training, but I hated training for a fight. And I was always training for a fight. I mean, back then there was a fight every weekend somewhere, right? You know, um, especially in Hawaii, there were smokers, there was amateur shows, there was PLA, PAL fights. Then there was Golden Gloves, Diamond Belt. There's just all kind of fights. And there were every weekend almost. And then we had karate tournaments and we had kickboxing matches. Then there was these stupid MMA or no holes barred fights in Hawaii. It was just, so I was fighting all the time, you know, starting as a teenager and I hated it. I hated it. I hated every fight, <clears throat> but I did it for whatever reasons. And, um, and I always thought, oh, I can't wait till I don't have to have a fight coming up and I can just relax and train and have a good time. That's what I, that was my biggest dream. I always, I always, um, I always admired, I was jealous of, of guys that were in the gym hitting the bag and stuff and I weren't really fighters. They were just hitting the bag. I was like, I wish that could be me, man. But I always had the fight come up. Even when I trained in LA, Muhammad Ali's gym, you know, Main Street gym, there were some guys who just came in because they wanted to, train with the pro fighters and i was like i i always i always wished i was one of them i didn't have to always fight now i don't have to fight i love training more than i ever have and i i have to stop myself from overtraining because that's when you get injured and you get you know sick and shit like that so i train five days a week um and i have a whole schedule which is you know i adhere to just like i did when i was fighting but I just love it now and I do it because I love it, not because I have to. So I think that's the big difference. And a lot of fighters don't love, they love to fight. Like Chuck loves to fight. He doesn't train like I do probably after he retired, but he loved fighting. He didn't love to train. You know, we used to have to make him train, but like Glover, Glover or Court McGee, you know, someone like that, they love to train and love to fight. So he's in heaven, whether he's in the cage getting ready for the cage in the dress room or training at home for his fight. He loves the whole, he loves that whole process. I hated it. He's in heaven when he's training and he's in heaven when he's fighting. It's fucking crazy. So when he's retired from fighting, he's going to still be training and teaching and rolling and sparring and shit like Court McGee does. And some guys don't love training, so they won't train quite as much when they retire they won't train at all when they retire so i think it's i think that's very individual I, I i'm more of a i've always loved training i've always hated fighting love training yeah yeah because i mean i came yeah. in from I, more, I did too i just yeah i came in more I, your background very similar to mine i, I got into it because of being jumped so it was the gang violence that got me into it it was the fighting that got me into it, but not because that's not why I got into it. I got into it because I didn't want, I didn't want to get beat. So I learned how to train. I loved the training to be able to defend myself. And then I found out that I, 
fighting was. And I was, I was that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah, right. man. But then, I think mine was Godin. I was like, he was like, he's the one that talked me into fighting in the Golden Gloves, you know, because he wanted his guy to be that fighter. Then when the when UFC when the when that first no holds barred fight came to Hawaii, it was called the World Series of Martial Arts. He got me to go go in it, and he worked my corner. And even though he wasn't, you know, he didn't know anything about sport fighting. You know, he worked my corner in boxing matches. He just liked like that. So next thing I know, I'm in the army and I'm boxing. Then I get out of the army and I'm boxing and kickboxing and stuff. And and it just it just kind of I just it's just in my mind that that's what I should be doing. And that's what I just always did. But I did not love it. So I do love training, though. So yeah, I love know, training. Now I train <laughs> the different. And in my mind, every time I train, it's um, it's staying healthy, and I'm visualizing getting healthier. But I'm also visualizing if somebody jumps me. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not fighting anymore, but I can still get jumped. You know what I mean? Yeah. Once it happens, it just never really escapes your memory. It's always there. It never. I will never yeah. forget getting jumped and I'll never forget telling myself it would never happen again. And every time I step on the mat, it's always in the back of my mind. I guess, you know, I guess you can call it a type of tra a trauma that, <laughs> that, I, that I probably share more with a shrink, <laughs> but yeah. It's definitely, yeah. It's yeah Cause I remember, I remember, <laughs> I remember getting jumped. I remember more than once, you know, especially, you know, where I grew up, I remember getting jumped. And then I remember, really clearly the first time that I stopped getting jumped, I stopped the guy from jumping me and I ended up beating the shit out of him. And I remember that day, like it was yesterday. And I remember how everything switched from that day forward. It just like, everything's changed. I was like 12 or 13 and I still had blonde hair, but nothing, nobody ever, ever picked on me again, ever in my whole life. And that, that, that one day in Kamaki Intermediate School, um, that one day changed everything for me. And I owe that all to Walter Godin, you know? I, everything, everything. Everything he taught me, the way he taught me, the way he made me tough, the way he was tough. I mean, he was kind of criminal tough, but he was still tough. Um, but the way, the way everything just happened, that one day beat the shit out of this guy, and I just remember you know, the big tough local guy at school. And I just remember walking around from that day forward where people just looked at me different and I looked at myself different. And I just realized that'll never, ever, and it didn't, it never happened again. To this day, it never happened again. I was like 12 or 13 and it never happened again. And I thank God for that. Yeah, and it, 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 it changes you. It really does. It changes you, the training, yeah. the mindset. And I think that I've met people who got into this from the other side of it like, like I said you got into it for the same reason I did but I've met people that got into it for other reasons like they got into martial arts because they really wanted to do martial arts uh, something that they you know they're maybe their family did or someone told them they should do it and they, they come up and they've their whole life they've been in a dojo but that definitely was not me um and yeah. that's, a that's a total different mindset really but yeah before we wrap up um, you said you had some good stories of Rampage in Japan. And if, if, if Rampage doesn't mind you sharing the, uh, one of those stories, if we can wrap up with one of those, that would be awesome. <laughs> well, Rampage, 
I don't know him that well, but what I do know about him, I always, I just, I, I, I admired him so much. And um, just him as a person, as a martial artist, how fucking tough and shit. I mean, tough as shit. I mean, he might be braggadocious and shit, but he was tough. I mean, um, and I respect a lot of things. Like when he was going back and forth, selling his fights, even with Chuck, you know, um, uh, you know, like, do you mind if I do this to this? And Chuck went, I don't mind. What are you do, man? So when the camera was on, he's like, oh, I'm going to fuck him up. I'm going to do this. And he did that. But he asked Chuck, like, he didn't want to show disrespect to Chuck. So he, he would ask him. Like, so, I mean, I thought that was fucking respectful as hell. Or when he fought Lyoto Machida and he thought he lost. I've never seen a fighter do this. Even when they know they lost, right? And then the, they get the decision. They, they, they You can tell in their face, they're like, Wait, I just got the decision. They always, when they get their the mic, they always go, "Yeah, it was a close one, but I definitely won. I know I won." And they know they didn't. But when 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 uh, when they gave Le- uh, Rampage the decision when he fought Leota, the first thing he said when he got the, the the mic was, "I don't know who the fucking judges were, but they're blind as shit." I didn't. He goes, "He didn't. I didn't win that fight. I don't know why they gave me that fight, but I just got my ass whooped." And I was like, "I've never seen a fighter do that before." Um, I just respected the hell out of him for doing that. But in Japan, like we sat next to each other in the plane. Go, I don't know why, how that happened, but we're going. I think he was fighting Chuck that one, or maybe it was the 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 time we went over there before he fought Chuck. I don't know. But we were sitting like that, and he was just so funny the way he interacted with the, the Japanese people. Like the steward was like this little gay Japanese guy, and he was the stewardess right but he was a steward i guess you call it and he was just rampage was just just dogging on him so much but in almost in a funny way he wasn't really putting him down per se but just the way he talked to him and and i remember i remember um i remember being in the arena and there was some he, I guess the japanese don't have braces a lot of them or something no, you no, know no, they don't, they don't, and they and he was talking, I mean, he was just talking about their grill. He kept talking about their grill. And that's like a black person's way of talking about the mouth, the teeth, I guess. Yeah. But he was like teasing, like talking about, they got the grill, man, the grill. You just got, you can't, and it was like, I don't know why that caught me is so funny. Because he was trying to, I mean, because even no matter with Rampage, even when he dogged you, like, I always felt he did it in a respectful way and kind of in a way that was just funny. I just felt like he didn't have malicious, like some of the guys now, like they fucking hate each other, like Jones and, you know, some of the Diaz guys and some of the whoever else, you know, Kobe Cummington, they hate each other. Um, But it seemed like Rampage, you know, with the whole chain and stuff, he did it out of some kind of, uh, you know, he was selling the fight and he was putting on a, a, he was being a, you know, he was, he was entertaining and I just felt he always did it out of respect, even the way he came across. So I always loved him for that. And that was like, that was my favorite. Um, I don't know. That was just, it was just hanging around him in Japan and watching him interact with people was just in and of itself was probably, probably part of my funnest part in Japan. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and then there's Rapungi. Yeah. Then there's Rapungi, right? Yeah. Is there still Rapungi? Yeah, it's still there. They still have that? They still have it. Even with all the... 
even with all everything else going on, there was a, there was a, it, they, they, like I said, first month, they, they, they slowed things down, but after the month was up, they went back, back up. Um, they wear the face shields and a bunch of stuff, but whatever, whatever it is, they keep. Do they have to wear them? Are they you know, forced to wear them? You know, no, no one's forced to do anything. But as you know, a Japanese society, once yeah. they've made a decision to do something, they all just do it. Not not because anybody told them to, but because that's what everyone's doing. Hence, yeah. hence that's just how this place works. Like, so you know, they're they're wearing the. I I, I question the effectiveness of it, but okay, sounds good. I think it's interesting that they have their hostess bars are still open. And for those listening that don't know what a hostess bar is, it's a place where you can go and find some entertainment uh, that you pay for. And um, yeah, they're still open. I have that. They I have, go. I actually have, go to one here. They have, they have like, they, they put like a plastic shield between you. I, I haven't, I haven't gone, I, I, but I, I saw like, they had a thing on it on TV. Like they have like a plastic shield and the girl's wearing her mask. And I'm just like, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I'm not a scientist. <laughs> but yeah, it's funny, man. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go much more into it, but yeah, it's yeah, it's funny. <laughs> Don't get show, because I have that right here in my house. Oh you have the so I have the uh the ho a hostess bar, yeah, with my oh, wife. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's awkward. <laughs> no. But anyway, man, that's funny shit. That's funny shit. Man. So what else we got? Anything else? I think we covered all the points, man. Don't the only thing I had was cutting weight if it's needed or running versus cardio. But yeah, we could talk about that some other time. What, what do you mean cutting weight? Like, do I think this one I don't like? This one I don't like. Okay, I don't like. I don't like people saying fighters have to get this month much or there's going to be a, a union. I don't like that. You know what I mean? I, I think that's stupid. Um, and when people go, oh, you don't care about the fighters, what they make, you're, you're t the stupidity of that statement is, it's just astonishing to me because I get paid a percentage of what they make. So of course I want them to make more. I just don't think anyone should be forced to pay anyone anything that they don't think they're worth. If they're worth that much, they're going to get paid that much. If they're not, they won't. And a union telling, forcing someone is just going to, it's going to deteriorate it. Then they just won't do it anymore. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that, 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 that right there bothers my mind. And it also bothers my mind that somebody's going to tell somebody what, what weight they can or can't make and what they have to walk around at. Some people can make more weight. You know what I mean? Some people some people can walk around 40 pounds heavier and make weight. And they're they have it down. They have it dialed in. They could do it really well. And that's an advantage to have. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So why take away that advantage? What? No, I said yeah. I'm not, I, yeah. I'm just I'm nodding my head. <laughs> and some guys some guys some guys can't do it as well. So why give that person the advantage now? If somebody can cut well, cut weight really well, and somebody can, and he gets all dehydrated and shit, he should move up a weight. But it shouldn't take it away from the guy that has no problem cutting all the way down. 
I mean, why tell what, what somebody, what's more beneficial, what their health is, and they're going to tell you how to be healthy. But you, so you got to be healthy to get in there and get your fucking brain scrambled. That's how stupid that is. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't like people being forced to pay a certain amount, to make a certain amount of weight. It's like the minimum wage. I mean, it's like, if somebody's not worth something, why are we going to force them to pay that? Right. And again, what you're saying, and I feel the same way, the same way about weight cutting. If you can't, if you can't cut the weight successfully, then you should move up a weight. And to me as a promoter, I would say, if you didn't make weight for that fight, if one guy didn't make weight for a fight, I would make him go up and not let him fight at that weight anymore. So you, but you if somebody did, what? So, so you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't essentially force him to cut weight, starve him. Because I've seen a lot of coaches starving their fighters to cut weight. Right, because, and I'll tell you why they do that. They do that because the fighter says, no, I don't want to fight it this much. The guys are too big and strong. I want to go down to the next weight down. But then their eyes are, are smaller than their their mouth, and, and they start, and they can't make the weight. So the coach, now it's on the coach. He has to help the guy or make the guy make weight. Where in reality, the guy should be up a weight class. Or maybe he's better off at that lower weight, but he shouldn't eat like a pig in between fights. So again, it's self, self responsibility. Self responsibility, yeah, self responsibility. It's, yeah, yeah. Um, well, if, yeah, if we could do a fast fire running versus cardio program, you know, this got the old school mentality of, um, and I'm wondering where you stand on this. I think I, I think I know, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Um, you got those, the old school mentality, the old school boxing mentality. My fighter runs three miles a day and then goes back into camp and does what he has to do. And then maybe he runs another three miles at the end of the day or one of the five miles or whatever. Do you prefer running modalities to, to cut weight or, to, or not even cut weight? Like a lot of that old school mentality has just made you tougher. Running made you tougher. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, yes and no. I think it does if you love to run. Okay, I'll give you an example. Glover Teixeira. Okay, nobody's in better shape than him. Right? Um, but he does a lot of anaerobic work, a lot of uh, light, uh, airdyne, a lot of rowing, a lot of burpees, a lot of cardio anaerobic workout in the gym that gets his heart rate just as high as anybody running, right? And we see how he, look at him, he always gets stronger as the fight goes on, right? He's in great shape. He's 41, right? But most of that is by in-house anaerobic work. Sometimes down at the park, you know, he'll do sprints here and there too. But most of his work is like, you know, like Olympic weights over and over and over. That gets your heart rate up so high and he does that kind of stuff. But now his, his, his sparring partner, Alex Pereira, the guy who's the, Glory kickboxing champion, right? You know that is? Yeah. Yeah. He's the guy that knocked out Israel Asanja, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So he he just likes to train, like hit the bag, spar, and then run. And that's all he really cares about doing. So he likes to run. He'll go like five to 20 miles sometimes. He just, all he likes to do is train, like spar and stuff like that, and then run. Someone like Glover likes to spar, drill, and stuff like that, 
and then do all kind of an assortment of different uh, um, anaerobic um, anaerobic type drills. So I don't think either is better or worse. They both they both make you a lot stronger and tougher mentally and physically. Uh, running is more old school, and I think you know jogging, which Glover does a lot of when he's cutting weight. I think jogging is great for getting just getting moving and stuff, but I don't think it's necessary to include in your uh, in your training in your training camp if if there's other things you like to do better. So again, it's on the individual and what they prefer as far as the training modality. Well, yeah. That covers everything, man. That was everything I had on my list. Unless there's anything else you want to bring up. No. I'm good. We'll, we'll talk again. <laughs> All right. Well, it's always a pleasure, and thank you very much for being on the show. Um, for my listeners, stay tuned for the wrap. Actually, let's just do the wrap-up right here. Hey, Social Jello with Angelo. Hit subscribe on YouTube. It's much appreciated. Make sure to check out the Pitmasters YouTube site, as I mentioned earlier. If you want to say it one more time. The Pit Online Dojo. The Pit Online Dojo. Check it out. Catch you all later.